This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate, so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K through 12th grade curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. If you want to bring IXL to your school, you can learn more at IXL.com backslash B-E. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, activity periods, RTI, therapy, and teacher appointments, and much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and this is the Are They 18 Yet podcast, where I help parents raise independent, self-sufficient kids without sacrificing their own identity and sense of purpose. I'm here to share practical day-to-day solutions for raising kind, successful, well-adjusted human beings, and actionable advice for supporting systemic changes so we can make this world a more inclusive, accepting place now and for future generations. Hey there, this is Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 45 of the Are They 18 Yet podcast. In this episode, I am going to break down language processing problems. So I'll talk about some of the red flags that could indicate that a child might need to work on language processing. And then I'm going to talk about one of the common but often overlooked culprits that is behind a lot of language processing problems. So obviously, if you have someone who's having a hard time following directions, processing language, expressing themselves, there are a number of reasons why neurologically or based on skills and exposure that that might be happening. And so I'm certainly not saying that this is the only thing going on when you have some of these red flags that I'm going to present in just a couple minutes, but I wanted to highlight this one key area that is often overlooked because when I discovered what I'm about to share in this 
episode today, it made a huge impact in my ability to be able to support my students. And I finally was able to make some progress with some of the students that I was working with who just really weren't making progress with some of the processing things that I was working on. So things like being able to retell a story after they just read something or being able to answer questions about something they just read or heard or being able to follow along in class. And so when I was working on some of those things and not making progress, this was one of the things that made the biggest impact. And I didn't quite realize the connection. So I wanted to share the connection today. And also, for those of you who are speech pathologists, you probably have an understanding of what I mean when I say language processing. Teachers, you probably have awareness of that as well. But if you're a parent and you have a child who gets speech services or you think that they might need speech therapy services, I know that it can get confusing to to understand all of the different areas that your child's speech pathologist might be addressing with your child. The difference between speech and language is a little bit confusing to some people, so I wanted to clarify that and then also talk about this one key area that can be really powerful when you are supporting kids who are working on language processing. So before I get going, I wanted to share a resource that is available on my site. It is going to be a written version of a lot of the information that I'm going to cover today, but also it is going to cover some specific exercises that you can do to build kids' ability to understand different sentence structures. So there's a little bit of a spoiler alert on the skill that I'm going to talk about today. We are going to talk about sentence structure and syntax. So in this free guide, I walk through why building children's sentence structure is so important to their ability to comprehend and understand language and why this is often a key culprit when kids have language processing issues and why building syntax is so important to things like reading comprehension, writing, performance in school, and then, of course, performance in life and vocational settings, any type of a situation where you're going to have to understand complex language and even just day-to-day language as well, like being able to answer someone's questions. So, In this free guide, I talk about the sentence types that tend to be difficult for students who have language disorders, who have some disability that is impacting their ability to process language. And also, these sentence types tend to be difficult for anyone who's just learning English. So for example, if if English is not their first language, sometimes these sentence types tend to be difficult for for someone just learning the language as well. But particularly, they are an issue for people who, for English, when English is their first language, but language in general is just challenging for them. So I cover those difficult sentence types. And then I also talk about how to actually start working on them. So I share one activity that you can do that is backed by peer-reviewed research and is pretty simple to do. And then for the speech pathologists in the audience, 
I talk about how to write goals for sentence structure if you were to be writing goals for a child's IEP, for example. So that's a common thing that I get asked. My SLP listeners always want to know about how to write good goals for language therapy, so it will be certainly useful for you if you're an SLP. You'll notice the language in the guide is is geared towards SLPs, but as I've said before, a lot of these resources, even though I have written them from the SLP's perspective, I've also had parents and teachers benefit from them as well. I have had parents who have read this guide and then shared it with their SLP because I know a lot of my listeners might be parents who really want to advocate for their kids. And when I was working in the schools, I did have some good discussions with parents who really wanted to understand why I was writing the goals that I was writing on the IEP. So if you're a parent who wants to be proactive and really understand the skills that your speech pathologists or other professionals are working on with your child, and you also want to understand how you can support your child as they develop language, then you're welcome to check out the guide as well. And same thing for teachers. I know that teachers obviously have to have an understanding of some of these red flags in order to be able to collaborate with their speech pathologists, the special ed teachers, and to know when to make a referral, and then also to know in their classroom what they can do to support kids' language. So so understanding these skills is really important because this is a team effort. At the present time, I actually have a button where you can sign up for this guide on my main website, my speech pathology website, actually. So all you need to do to sign up for this free guide to sentence structure is just go to drkarenspeech.com and you'll be able to click the button and go to the page where you can sign up for this free guide and then it will just be emailed to you. So again, all you need to do to sign up for this guide is go to drkarenspeech.com. So I'll first just talk briefly about the difference between speech and language, and sometimes there isn't a clear distinction in certain cases because there are some skills that are related to speech but also have some cognitive linguistic components. So generally speaking, when someone is talking about speech therapy, they are working on things like articulation, so being able to pronounce different speech sounds, or they might be talking about stuttering, so working with someone who stutters and and teaching them some strategies that they can use to make their speech more fluent in situations where they want to be able to do that, or even things like voice. So people who have vocal nodules due to abusive vocal patterns, and they want to learn a way that they can communicate and perform without causing repeated trauma to their vocal cords, that is something that all falls, generally speaking, under the category of speech therapy. And 
with the sounds, sometimes there are when kids are having a hard time pronouncing different words and their speech is difficult to understand. That's one of those things that can sometimes have a little bit of an overlap in speech and language because sometimes the ability to pronounce a word and understand all of the sounds in the word can be highly tied to someone's understanding of the word's meaning. So that one's kind of a little bit there's some gray area with that one, but generally speaking, that's how we make the distinction. One of the most common things that you will see in the school setting is that kids who are working on sounds and articulation, they are considered more in the speech therapy realm, but then kids who are having a hard time with academic skills and processing and some of the things that I'm going to be talking about today, that's more categorized as language. But as I said, there's not always a clear distinction. There is some gray area between the two and a speech pathologist is the person who would be working on both of these things. And obviously, some other people would be collaborating with some of these skills as well. But the speech pathologist is one of the people who will be the lead in working on some of these skills if your child is getting services in the school setting. So now that we've cleared that up, let's talk a little bit about some red flags that you might see if a child has language processing issues. Here are some common red flags that I saw when I was working in the school systems and that I know a lot of my other SLP colleagues are seeing as well. But some of the red flags might be if the student gives incorrect answers to WH questions, so questions that start with who, what, where, when, why, how. So if they're having a hard time with answering those types of questions or just questions in general, and you might be repeating the question or modeling a good answer to the question and you're, you're rewording the question. And no matter what, they're still inconsistent with their ability to actually answer the question in an exact way that's really answering what you asked. That is a common culprit that indicates that there could be an issue with language processing. Another culprit would be if reading comprehension is a struggle for them or it's just not progressing at the rate that you would expect. Maybe you're working on things like inferencing, which is just when you're asking a student a question about something that they have read and the answer is not explicitly stated. They've got to kind of critically think and draw a conclusion or if they just don't get the gist and you're saying, what's the main idea of what you just read? What's it about? Or if you ask them a question about specific details and they have no idea and the answer is right there. That is also an indication that language processing could be something that they need to work on, or if they just can't retell the events in the story, or just even being able to retell events, period. So something happened to them, and they can't tell you what happened, and they can't just use language to say, first this happened, and then this happened, and just retelling messages and events. Or if somebody told them something and they can't retell it to you, that's also an indication that language processing could be something that they are struggling with. Um, inferencing questions. So again, I mentioned that before. So that can be something that comes up when kids are reading. So they can't 
inference and critically think about information that they've read and piece things together and problem solve or just problem solving in general. So maybe they were listening to something that their teacher was saying, and then the teacher asked them something that required them to apply some of the information. And they just can't quite take one thing and then take another thing and draw a conclusion. When writing essays and any type of written work is an issue, that can also be tied to language processing. And then also if grammar is something that they struggle with. So for example, maybe they make grammatical errors when they're writing, or maybe even when they're speaking, you notice that sometimes they might not use the right verb tense or pronouns or other parts of the sentence where they aren't exactly wording things the correct way. And as a result, it makes it difficult for them to get their thoughts out and then sometimes makes it difficult for other people to understand what they're trying to say. Then that can also be an indication that language processing is a struggle for them. And then an additional red flag that comes up is, and this is something that comes up a lot in the schools, is if they aren't following directions in class, or they seem to have a hard time following directions and just following along with the routines. So when someone says, you know, do these steps, get your bag ready, get your assignment out, and they can't quite keep up. And parents typically would see things a little bit differently. They might have daily routines, like getting ready for school, like making a meal or just basic day-to-day activities, they might notice that their child needs a lot of repetition and hand-holding to get through some of those tasks. And they might find themselves repeating themselves over and over again, things like that. So those are all red flags that language processing could be involved. Now, when I used to get these kind of referrals, I used to do a lot of comprehension strategies with these kids. So the teachers were doing a lot of comprehension strategies as well. And if you want a little bit more of a background in what I mean when I say comprehension strategy instruction, I just mean that we were working on things like, you know, again, answering questions about what the kids had read, talking about the main idea, talking about how to summarize. And I do go into some more detail about that in episode 44, where I talk about how important vocabulary is to supporting comprehension. So if you want a little bit more background, then definitely check out episode 44 if you have not already. Now, the the thing about comprehension strategies, and those are the types of things that, that teachers are often sharing with students, especially when they get into the late elementary school, when there's really an emphasis on using reading to learn new information, because that is a very effective way to learn new information for a lot of people. Because of that, there's, again, a heavy emphasis on that in the curriculum. But the problem with that like I mentioned in episode 44, is that if kids don't have the foundational language skills to support high-level comprehension, then they don't respond very well to comprehension instruction. So they're practicing over and over again, just reading something and answering questions, and then they're practicing answering questions. But 
many of the students who are not responding well to these types of strategies in the classroom are struggling because they are being asked, when they're taught these strategies, they're being asked to comprehend an entire paragraph, an entire chapter of a book, an entire story, or at least just a handful of sentences and messages at a time. And they're just struggling to understand individual words and sentences. So of course, when you give them a lot of information at once, it makes it really difficult for them to, for example, answer a question about what they just read because it's just too much information for them to process at once. And they are not able to piece together what one sentence is saying. So of course, they're having those processing issues. So as I've said before to some of the speech pathologists that I mentor, and this is something that I struggled with as well, it's, you know, when you're reading to a child and then asking them questions over and over again, and they don't know how to structure their sentences in a way to be able to answer the questions efficiently, and when they didn't process the information to begin with, you're just repeatedly asking them over and over again to do something that they don't know how to do, and they don't have the prerequisite skills to be able to do. So you're just, you know, again, as I've said before, throwing them off into the deep end without really giving them the basics of how to swim. And this is the case for, you know, a lot of times, When I was in grad school, for example, when kids would have a hard time following directions, what would we do in therapy? We would just practice following directions and we would gradually increase the complexity of the directions and things like that. And yes, there is a place for exercises like that. But when you're just practicing the skill over and over again, and the student is struggling and not getting better, a lot of times you need to be a little bit more direct about the different parts of the sentence and the specific words in the sentence and what all of those words are doing in order for them to be able to make progress. So when I have speech pathologists that I mentor and they are feeling a little bit stuck with some of their language processing cases, one of the key areas that I tend to encourage them to look at is vocabulary, but When we think about vocabulary, there are a lot of different skills that fit under it, one of them being syntax, because we have to not just understand what words mean, but also know what words are doing in a sentence and know how a sentence is put together. So in that sense, syntax is a part of building vocabulary. So that is one of the most common areas that I tend to look at when I have an SLP who comes to me and says, hey, my student isn't making progress. What's going on here? And it's also one of the common areas that I looked at when I was working with students in the school is is syntax and sentence structure, because that is one of the skills that really forms that foundation for being able to understand messages. Now, this is a little bit counterintuitive because a lot of times people think, well, if my student is struggling with comprehension, shouldn't I work on comprehension? Well, yes, in many cases, there will be a time for students to need that kind of work. And if students are getting that kind of work in their classrooms, I certainly am not saying that we should stop doing that. But the thing that we want to realize is that if someone is having a difficult time with language processing, then often that means that they need something that's 
a little bit different than what the regular classroom instruction is offering. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with the regular classroom instruction. It just means that they might need something that's a little bit different or maybe even something just above and beyond. So in theory, they could continue to have that work in the classroom, but then they just get some extra help with some of those foundational skills so that they can actually benefit from that work that's going on in the classroom. So a lot of times for the teachers, they don't have to change what they're doing substantially. Maybe they might tweak it a little bit for students to make some accommodations, but generally speaking, they might continue their plan that they are carrying out for the majority of their class just being a little bit more mindful of these things. And then somebody else, like the speech pathologist, might come in and then do some instruction above and beyond. And sometimes it's a special ed teacher that can do this as well. So that's how that works. It's not necessarily taking things away. It's just a matter of tweaking. So the thing that gets a little bit confusing, though, is that when there are people like a speech pathologist, sometimes they think, well, Maybe it'll, we'll just, they just need more of the comprehension instruction. And the problem with that is that for some cases, you're just doing more of what didn't work. And so if you want your intervention to work, you need to do something that's a little bit different than what's going on in the classroom. And then a lot of times people think, oh, well, if I'm just working on sentences, I'm not really working on the skill that they're struggling with. Well, a lot of times when we are treating the symptom, then kids aren't getting better. When you're working on sentence level work, you're actually treating the cause. So you actually are all working on language comprehension. You're just all doing it from different angles, which is what we want because we all wanna work together as a team. So the teacher can be working on the reading comprehension in the classroom and sometimes the reading instruction, depending on the grade of the kids. And then the speech pathologist and the special education teacher might be coming in and providing some additional instruction and the skills that the teacher, the the general education teacher, isn't providing. Again, because the, the general education teacher has a different role. And then parents, this is where it gets a little bit fuzzy because it totally depends on your family dynamic and your situation. But for parents, a lot of times, as I've said before, they can be making sure that they're reading with their kids. But I know that a lot of parents want a little bit more direction as far as what they can work on with their kids. So that's why I am providing this discussion today if you want to get a little bit more specific when you are working with your kids. So I wanted to cycle back though and talk a little bit about some specific sentence types and really define what I mean when I say sentence level work and syntax because I know that if if you don't think about language in a very specific way on a day-to-day basis, which let's be honest, a lot of us don't because it's something that comes naturally to us, then figuring out how to help someone who doesn't have those skills can be kind of challenging. So first, before I do that, I wanted to just point out the difference between implicit learning and explicit learning. So implicit means that you are exposed to something and you kind of just figure it out automatically without someone directly teaching it to you or without you needing to direct your attention towards it. You kind of just figure it out 
subconsciously. And so when teachers do reading comprehension instruction, there are so many different skills that students are having to pull together. They're having to think about what the words mean. They're having to think about, you know, again, the the structure of the sentences, and they're having to make sense of that. And then they're thinking about the overall message and the concepts, and they're thinking about some past experience that they had that relates to whatever they're reading. They're putting a lot of things together at once. And so a lot of kids, with the way that a sentence is put together, they don't need you to directly explain it because they just intuitively kind of figure it out and they know it. And a lot of times with that, they can't exactly explain why they know it and why something makes sense, but it's just implicitly known. And they just know how to put a sentence together and they just get it without someone having to say, this is how this works. And that works for a lot of kids. But with students who have language processing issues, they need you to be more direct about those skills because they're not picking it up implicitly. They're not paying attention to those rules and then using them. So we need to make things that are implicit more explicit, meaning that we have to directly explain them. So that's what I mean when I say that, you know, a lot of times kids just, you can you can do the high level instruction and it works fine for them. But for these other kids that are struggling, it's really a matter of needing things to be explained more directly. So when it comes to the specific sentence types, that are a challenge. I'm just going to go ahead and list four of the common ones. And this is taken from the work of Richard Zappoli. And again, if you sign up for my sentence structure guide on my website, again, that's drkarenspeech.com. I do provide some specific references and a little bit more background and explanation of all of these things that I'm going to cover today. So definitely check it out and get the written version if you want some more information and some of those specific references. Depending on who you are, you, you may be interested in that. So the four sentence types that tend to be difficult are sentences with passive voice sentences with adverbial clauses and causal or temporal conjunctions, sentences with relative clauses, and sentences with three or more clauses. So if you are a person who is not a language arts teacher, not a linguist, not a speech pathologist, and even if you are one of those things, depending on the grade and age of the kids that you work with, you may or may not know what some of those things are. Now, if you are a person who is a well-educated person, but does not specifically think about language and linguistics, then you might not know what those things are just off the top of your head. Even if you are somebody who's working with students and you feel like, hmm, I should know this information, don't worry about it. That's why I'm (laughs) providing this guide. And especially if you're a parent, I know that some of that technical stuff can be a little bit intimidating, but that's why I have outlined it in the guide. Really, my goal for this episode is just to give you an idea of what syntax is and why it's important. So I wanted to give you some examples of what the first one is. And then if you want more information and more specifics about the other sentence types, then I invite you to check out the guide. So let's talk about what passive voice is and why it tends to be difficult for kids who 
are struggling to process language. So this is something that comes up a lot in texts and whenever there is some kind of a context where the language is a little bit more difficult. So when a sentence has passive voice, it means that the agent or the doer of an action and the recipient of that action are reversed. So let me give you a couple examples. So some examples with active voice are the boy threw the ball and the students completed the assignment. So those are two examples of active voice. That one is a little bit easier to process. Now, passive voice, which is the first sentence type that tends to be difficult, would be something like, instead of the boy threw the ball, you would say the ball was thrown by the boy. Instead of the students completed the assignment, you would say the assignment was completed by the students. The reason that this is difficult is because when kids are having a hard time processing language, they're heavily reliant on the word order in the sentence because a lot of times they're not fully processing every single word in all the parts of the sentence. They can only grab on to a couple words, so they're just queuing into some of those content words and just inferring and, and almost guessing at the rest of the words. And so they are sort of just filling in the blanks on their own. And when you switch the order of the content words and you require the listener to have to pay attention to all those little words in between, and that person has a strategy of, I'm just going to pay attention to the order of a couple words in the sentence, then a lot of times they infer the wrong information in between those content words, and they miss the overall message. So if you said the ball was thrown by the boy, and then you asked what was thrown, they might say the boy, and they might get that whole message muddled and confused. Or what sometimes happens is that they know that they're not getting the message, and then they just shut down and they say, I don't know, and they don't really give you anything. So that's why this can be really difficult and why you can see that the order of words in a sentence, if there's even just one thing switched around in the sentence that's unfamiliar to them, which let's be honest, when you're asking kids to read texts, even if they are at a reading level that might be early elementary, there are all different types of sentences thrown in there. And so that means that if a student has one strategy that's like their their one way of processing a sentence, which for a lot of kids, one of the things that they do is really rely on word order, and they're using that for every sentence, but the order of the words is switching around based on the sentence type, and they're having to infer one part of the sentence and reference it to another and, and the order is switching, then it gets really confusing because they're using the same strategy for every sentence. That's really not an effective strategy for just processing language overall. So when that happens, again, you might have some of those comprehension breakdowns. So again, this example is for the first sentence type, which is sentences with passive voice. The other sentences were sentences with adverbial clauses and causal and temporal conjunctions, sentences with, with relative clauses, and the fourth one was sentences with three or more clauses. 
So again, if you want to know a little bit more about those other sentence types, then definitely sign up for my free sentence structure guide where I go through what all of these sentence types are, why they're difficult, and then I give some strategies for working on syntax with students. So this is a good place for me to wrap up. I can definitely do some follow-up episodes if people like this. So let me know if you enjoyed this episode. I'd really appreciate the feedback. So again, what you can do now if you want to get more information about why syntax is so powerful, these specific sentence types that tend to be an issue for kids who have problems with language processing, and then also some of the red flags that I mentioned today. If you want a document that has them written down, let's say that you are a parent or a teacher and you want to share it with your speech pathologist or think about, you know, does my child have some of these things that I could be working on? Or if you're a speech pathologist and you want a guide as far as how to identify the students that might need work on syntax. And if you want to have some guidance on how to write goals for those types of students, then check out my ultimate guide to sentence structure. It is on my main website, which is drkarenspeech.com. You'll be able to sign up for the free guide on that page. For now, we'll wrap up. Thank you so much for listening. Again, with this information, it can be so powerful and it can really make a difference for students who are just not responding to that comprehension strategy instruction. So if you are a parent or a teacher or a speech pathologist or some other type of professional who is working with kids who might have processing issues, and if all of this stuff sounds familiar, some of the red flags that I've mentioned, then feel free to share this episode with your friends or colleagues or anyone you think would benefit from this information. And then also, it helps us out so much if you leave us a five-star review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. So again, drkarenspeech.com to grab that guide. And I will see you in episode 46. Thank you so much for listening. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments without just teaching to the test? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com backslash BE 
to learn how IXL's research-based teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out My Flex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE.